Welcome to Manager Tools. Today, one of our Hall of Fame cast, Managing During Mergers and Acquisitions, Part 1. Welcome to the Manager Tools podcast for Monday, August 21st, 2006. Hello everyone, this is Michael Ozan, and on behalf of Mark Horseman and myself, welcome. First things first, Mark and I wanted to thank everyone for their support and votes at the podcast awards for Manager Tools. Manager Tools won the best in business category, and we are truly appreciative of the award, but even more appreciative of the members that continue to support us in our quest to live our dream. We're having a blast, and we owe that to each of you. Thank you very much. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, whether you're at a small or big company, the competitiveness of the commercial world and demands for growth make your firm either prey or predator. If a company can't grow organically by growing sales of its own products or innovating, often leadership looks to be acquired or acquire another firm. But what does that mean for the manager? What is our role in helping two organizations come together? How do you navigate the stressful, water-cooler, talk-filled, flurry of emails world of a merger or an acquisition? In this series of cast, we lay it out for you. So let's get on with part one of our two-part series. I think a lot of managers feel at the end of the whip, so to speak, when it comes to their company merging with another, yeah. or when they get bought, or even when the company acquires somebody else. You know, they, they feel like they don't know what's going on most of the time, and they don't know what to do about it, and who to ask questions, or, you know, who, any of that stuff. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's exactly what my experience is too, Mike. Um, I actually go even further. I think an awful lot of managers get paralyzed. Um, not that they can't do anything, it's just they don't want to do anything. Um, you know, when, when rumors about mergers or acquisitions surface, um, it, like you say, they don't know who to talk to. They don't know what to do in terms of the work, which is, of course, dangerous, in my opinion. They don't know what to tell their teams. They're, you know, there's no rule book, um, and the senior people are too involved, or they don't want to admit that the rumors might be true. Uh, I think people are worrying about their own jobs. Um, of course, that makes sense. Um, they wonder how the trans- transition will go if it ever gets that far. If it, you know, if, if it really isn't a rumor, it's in fact true. Um, and then, and then I think even worse, perhaps when we, you know, the way we feel about management—that it's a sacred responsibility with your team—they um, don't know how to engage with their staffs. Um, and it's really hard when everybody, you know, they're sitting, managers sitting there thinking, um, what is going to happen with the merger and acquisition? Um, and so. A lot of things just become grindingly slow. Um, so, so I'm just guessing here, Mike. But uh, what, what was your experience at MCI around this? Oh, it was it was it was awful. Like I can't tell you how many months of work were lost. I think it probably something equivalent to the GDP of a small country was spent <laughs> around the around the water cooler. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just felt like that's all anybody talked about, right? No, absolutely. For, literally for months. I, I am not kidding you. For months, um, it seemed like literally nothing got done. Um, and largely as a result of managers not knowing how to deal with it, not, how, not knowing how to discuss rumors, not knowing how to um, communicate what was happening to folks. Yeah, do you think maybe there's some sense, uh, I've always felt this, I haven't really talked to managers in detail about it, that, that managers know... That nobody tells them what is right or wrong, but they're so afraid of being wrong in terms of saying something that they're not supposed to, when in fact, 
everything they know is really a rumor anyway. Uh, it's not official. Um, because if it really is official, somebody will say, I can tell you this, but you can't tell anybody else, which I find amusing in and of itself. But, but uh, I think a lot of managers are just afraid of saying anything. Um, and because so much of our jobs are communication, I think it just kills things. And I think it also kills things after the merger is done um, because people are so far behind. So many people didn't know anything uh, until it's so late. And then in being responsive, they can't catch up fast enough to what the, what the planning is. So, and, and look, we're going to do future shows about how to integrate an acquisition in terms of the corporate piece about, okay, how do you do an acquisition? How the deal team um, either becomes or hands off to the integration team, what makes for a good transition, those kind of things. And, and, and by the way, really obvious, nothing new here. The, thing that, the things that make for a good transition are planning, speed, and communication, communication, communication. No surprise there. Um, but in this cast, I thought we'd focus on managers who are not part of the detail planning and talk about what, what managers can do when their firm is either acquired or goes through a merger. And, and you know, we don't want to spend too much time talking about the subtle differences between mergers and acquisitions because nowadays they say merger of equals, but in fact, one company ends up with more of the cards than the other, or in fact, one company is being acquired and they call it a merger. So we don't want to really get wrapped around in the axle. We're talking about two companies coming together uh, and the risks and concerns around that. Uh, there are some subtleties that apply when your firm is acquiring the other one, and we'll do that in a different show, although virtually everything we talk about here will still be applicable in that environment. Yeah. Well, I, I think you make a good point about uh, um, sometimes very little difference between a merger and acquisition because certainly the merger that I was a part of was – it was not a merger. It was an acquisition. It, it, it was an acquisition. It was titled yeah. a merger, and that's all legal financial stuff that right. was um, certainly titled a merger. But it was clearly – an acquisition. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the executives early on during this so-called merger actually from the MCI side who was being acquired um, acted as if it was a merger. And that wasn't good because <laughs> certainly the people on the other side thought it was an acquisition and acted as if it were an acquisition. Yeah. And we could spend a whole show just talking about that. But but essentially, you make a great point. Um if a manager is fairly naive or fairly young and just doesn't have a lot of experience, uh, they probably believe the first thing that they hear. And if they hear it's a merger, they'll behave as it's a merger and people are, we're going to talk to each other and figure it out. Whereas it, it may be helpful in terms of, you know, uh, Andy Grove's old line, only the paranoid survive, that if anybody tells you it's a merger or acquisition, the first thing you should think of is assume it's an acquisition until there's a lot of proof that it's not. Because if you do that, you'll be in much better position, even if it is a merger. What do you think? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I think it's very similar to the mistake that folks make sometimes when they're in a service organization, let's say IT, for example, and right. they serve internal customers, say, let's say marketing. Right. And, and they mistakenly believe that IT and marketing are partnering on solutions. <laughs> no, no, they're not your partner. You're, they're the customer. <laughs> And you're and you're the service provider, and those who get it uh, uh, think in terms of partnering often. Um, yeah, the results aren't great. So I, I think it's merger, merger acquisition pieces. Uh, yeah, people make a, a similar uh, mistake. Good, good. Okay, so let's get on with it. There are four key areas 
that we're going to talk about that a manager needs to focus on during an acquisition. Communicating, whom do I talk to, uh, how do I talk to them, how much about what, and so on. Creating new relationships, and that means if you're being acquired, it's good to know some of the people and not just the name of the firm that is acquiring you. Um, briefing your business. This is a step that most managers fail at, Mike, and it's, it's my favorite one because it gives you a huge competitive advantage. And then lastly, reaching out. There are some people you should be talking to during this time. Who are they? So in, in true manager tools fashion, let's go through the four and start with communicating. Um, as frustrated as most managers are, I think, by the lack of information that they received during acquisitions. Um, and, and let me just interrupt myself here, Mike. Um, during this whole process, when everybody was paralyzed during, during the various mergers and acquisitions that you guys were going through, um, would you say that there was a situation where um, you just didn't know a whole lot, even though you felt like if they could tell you something, you'd be able to be more effective going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The thing that surprises me about that is that managers feel that way all the time and that somehow, as frustrated as they are, as much as they dislike that, I'm always surprised by how they then turn around and visit this same mistake on their own teams. Um, everybody ends up hoarding information even while desperately trying to get everybody else to share everything the other managers know. Um, and, and I think that our, our fundamental approach, of course, is that you know, more communication is better. Um, so we take a little bit different viewpoint of it, um, maybe even rubbing some people the wrong way. But, but essentially, we have three recommendations based on your role and your relationships in your own firm regarding um, communications. Obviously, the first one of these three is with your boss. Um, it, it, some of this stuff may seem simple, but I've seen too many managers not follow these steps to not cover them and make sure that everybody knows the basics. Um, so when you hear a rumor like this, merger, acquisition, and so on, go and tell your boss and ask for clarification. That's sort of step one. Well, you know, I don't want people to think that we're suggesting they're a tattletale. This is simply a case of assuming that your boss knows more than you do about the situation. When you hear something, you want to sit down with your boss, share the rumor, and ask this simple question. And not exactly this way, but here's the point you want to get across. What do you know and what guidance do you have? So essentially three parts. Hey, here's what I've heard. What do you know and what guidance do you have for me? Um, and and I, I'm not suggesting it's rocket science, but um, that what do you know and what guidance do you have for me is very, very important. I suspect the first guidance you're going to get is don't tell anybody anything. Um, and we'll argue that point a little bit here in just a little bit. Um, but once you've shared this initial information, um, you want to be updating your boss regularly with these three points. Here's what I know, what do you know, and what guidance do you have for me? Uh, now, to be fair, I said regularly. Um, it's really hard to define regularly that's accurate for every situation. If it's early in the process or rumors like these often turn out to be baseless at your firm, um, maybe it's monthly um, once the rumor mill starts. But if things heat up, it might become weekly or even daily toward the end. It's highly likely that daily is the case, that you're going to be doing daily updates. Um, particularly if you're being acquired um, and you're in an organization that's at corporate headquarters, that's not sales. You know, If you don't bring in revenue or you don't design products, 
um, it's highly likely that you're on the block in some fashion. You may be fine, but you don't know until all the cards are on the table. And it's rare that all the cards are on the table as fast as you want them to be. Um, so, um, it, so it may be weekly, maybe monthly in the beginning and then weekly and then daily. It just depends on the situation. That's a judgment call depending upon the situation. Um, now, a lot of people uh, that I talk to have sort of a more political, strategic, Machiavellian view of things. Um, and, and they would argue that you can justify not telling your boss. And, and actually, they're right. You can justify not tell, telling your boss, um, keeping it to yourself, trying to gain your own information and so on. Um, but, but in my opinion, you do so with some risk. You know, let's say your friend or your mentor is a VP in strategic planning and tells you something on the golf course that's off the record. Um, maybe you choose not to tell your boss. Or maybe you have issues with your boss. You don't get along, or you do get along, but you know he can't keep a secret, or he, or he repeatedly tells you nothing while gathering his own information. Well, then, okay, maybe you won't tell your boss. This is a judgment call to some degree. But what we found over and over again, what I found when I'm dealing with managers in this situation is those who share more information get more information. People pretty quickly get the sense of people who want to know everything but don't want to tell what they know. And if you withhold too much too soon from your boss, or somebody else for that matter, you may end up wishing you'd shared more when you wanted some advance notice of something that was going on later in the game. Um, now, I've also talked to managers who say, well, I don't agree exactly with what you're saying, Mark. And I've had some people push back on this. They say, you know, I want to gather information. And then when the boss does finally tell them, they say, yeah, I know that. It can work, there's no question. In other words, you're seeing a message that I'm plugged in, that I'm politically savvy, that you don't know any more than I do, even though you're at a higher rank than me. And that you're an idiot, yeah, good yeah. message. Well, okay, you caught it, right? But a lot of people at the first level say, well, that's cool, you know, I know as much as the boss knows. It can work, but it also tells your boss going forward, you may not share stuff with her that she'd wanna know. In other words, you knew it and you didn't tell her, which she may feel you're attempting to undermine her. So that's a pretty dangerous game. Yeah, I, I would argue that if I found out from one of my subordinates, I'd say, well, you're an idiot. You should have told me. I, I'm now a lot less likely to be protective of you, all things being equal. Um, okay, now here's something that I think a lot of people miss when we talk about communicating and information sharing. And it may be, it's, this is probably the second most important point in this entire cast, after point three, of course, which is about um, briefing your business. This step in communicating is not just about information sharing, Mike. It, look, it's great to pool information. We call it pooling information. Hey, let's all share what we know. That's great. But it's not the ultimate. It's not the real value of what you're going to be doing in terms of sharing back and forth. Just having information is really not what you want at times like this. It's knowing what that information means. The purpose of sharing information is not just to exchange it, a dollar for some information or or just my information for your information, but also to analyze what it means. Having two people, including your boss, hypothetically, who has a different and offer or better organizational perspective will create better conclusions when you talk about what it is you know and she knew or what it is you know and he knew. 
It's not so much about the knowledge as it is about the conclusions you can draw. And both two different people bring two different sets of perspectives, two different uh, biases to the table. And you're going to both analyze the pile of information you have. The more information you have and the more perspectives you have, the more likely you are going to have an accurate read about what it means. Um, particularly helpful if you know somebody who's a peer or, or whomever who has some knowledge of mergers and acquisitions or more broadly outside of your company within the industry. Okay, so that, that's with the boss. We've got the three parts. We've got you tell your boss and then you ask, what do you know and what guidance do you have for me? Here's what I know. What do you know? What guidance do you have? And included in that is an assumption that, of course, there's going to be some analysis uh, towards conclusions which is essentially the point about guidance. Okay, okay what, what about with your peers? Um, now, before we go any further, are you okay, Mike? I just heard a lot of static. No, I'm fine. Okay, I'm fine. Um, you just bowled me over with your, your intellect and wit. I fell off my chair. <laughs> you do have a headache, don't you? I, know, I do. That's good. I do. Bef- before we go any further, though, um, let's just harken back for a moment to our network cast where we ask everybody to have a solid network of peers internally in their organizations. This is what ticks me off about people nodding their heads and saying, yeah, yeah, great idea, Mark. I really love it, right? Sure, good. And then when it comes crunch time, when the stuff hits the fan, when a merger or an acquisition is announced or whatever, um, nobody knows everything, but maybe everybody knows a little piece of the pie. It's those people that already have their robust networks in place what a lot of IT people call uh, the marketing people. Well, they just know everybody. They're not really all that smart. They're not smart like me, but boy, they know everybody. They're a friend of everybody. Everybody owes them a favor. Yeah, you're right. And when a merger acquisition hits, it's not just the role of marketing that causes them to not get hit. It's the fact that they all have great networks of people and they know what's happening in advance. And there's a lot of people who are going to try to protect them because in the end, if in fact your company's being acquired and their jobs are going to be lost, the people who have the weakest relationships along with the people who have the weakest performance are likely to be the ones who go away. That's a very good point. So, so please let this be a lesson. Go back and listen to the Building a Network cast. Remember, we're not talking about networking. We're talking about building a network. It includes internal people in your own organization. It is as hard as sending an email or making a phone call. In fact, um, I, I just think it's so easy to build a relationship internally. You could just simply reach out and say thank you to somebody and stun them with your honesty and pleasantness. And um, who knows? You'll make a friend. Um, hmm. So the network's important. It's a, it's a my, M-A-I, a merger acquisition inoculation. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. It, it, essentially, it's an injection, an inoculation against yeah, getting sick at a time of merger or go, taking it a step further, dying because of the merger acquisition because you lose your job. Um, and, and let's go back now briefly and talk about the manager communications above. If you have a good relationship with your manager, you can see where the pooling we were talking about ends up getting to better conclusions thanks to good analysis because of perspectives. Uh, again, it's not so much what you know as what you can surmise and what you can analyze based on what you know of the rumors and what you know about how your company works. Imagine how much better that is when you have multiple peers from multiple departments across the organization. Yeah. Well, it appears that here's what I know. What do you know is, is very powerful. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, think about that with 10 peers. Now, now you, 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 um, you have enough pieces of puzzle to start to get a sense of where, where the acquiring company potentially is headed. 
Um, so I, I think you're totally right. Um, this basically, the whole idea of I want to tell you what I know if you'll tell me what you know, is the way of the world when it comes to bartering rumors. Um, and again, the analysis and conclusions is going to be that. The analysis and conclusions are going to be that much better with more information and with more different sources uh, and insight and analysis from a, a bigger and more robust peer network. This is the one that I think people miss. Everybody thinks so vertically, Mike, and I understand that. But what they do is they wait for their boss to tell, some, tell them something rather than sharing with their boss in order to essentially prime the pump. And because we're afraid of what our subordinates, what we can and can't say, we end up doing nothing when it comes to our subordinates. And I think there's all kinds of opportunities that have nothing to do with what you've been told in the organization to work with your peers, but it relies on that network in advance that you've already built. Okay, um, going even further, I've seen managers who are friends group together and even have a happy hour once a week to talk about this. Um, or an unhappy hour, however. Yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, getting together, let's put it this way, getting together for a beer or for a drink. Um, uh, it, it's not only powerful, but I also think it's a great builder of the network as well. Gosh, if you know somebody who's going to one of these things, ask them to invite you and just to shake hands with everybody. Um, it, and I, I think organizationally, this helps strengthen um, a company as well, tighter relationships among peers. Now, look, it's possible that a peer of yours, somebody who's in your network with whom you share information, doesn't have any information. In other words, you're sharing and they're not giving you anything back. It's possible, yes. Um, I don't think it's terribly likely, but I think it is possible. So we don't want anybody to have a knee-jerk reaction. But, but you'll note, we didn't tell you how to analyze your network to see whom to include. There's a reason for that. First of all, I've seen a lot of managers exclude people who, quote, wouldn't know anything, when in fact those same people might be able to analyze everything in a way that's different. Um, so early on, you're going to want to cast a pretty broad net onto your network and then pay attention to who brings what to the table. Uh, you know, I, I, sorry, I don't mean that literally. Um, you can do this in individual conversations. We don't have to gather around a table every week. Um, now, taking it a step further, it's certainly reasonable to stop reaching out to someone who doesn't seem to add anything. They don't bring any information to the table and, um, and they don't seem to do any analysis with a caveat it might be good to bring them, even if they don't offer any information and they don't offer any analysis, if you're doing them a favor that would be laying the groundwork for, hint, hint, future stuff in the company or future jobs or um, right. a relationship that you want to build with them. So you may be extending your network to them, drawing them into your group, and then, then quote unquote, they'll owe you. Yeah, well, in an environment where there's otherwise a great black hole of information there is little information sometimes those folks who bring you just a little bit that's that little bit that allows you to infer some things that become very valuable so yeah for i'll give you a good example um a good friend of mine um works at a um, worked at the time at a company in kansas city and um as it turned out um, nobody really knew anything about what's going on with this particular merger uh, actually acquisition except a guy in IT who wasn't very well respected, I'm sorry, not IT finance, wasn't very well respected, didn't really have a great network, a little bit narrow in terms of his career focus and so on, was essentially in a meeting and a couple guys were talking afterwards and, and he said to this uh, friend of mine, he said, well, I, I don't know if this helps you guys, but the recent request, we, we're getting some different requests now for reporting and here's what they're asking for. 
<laughs> Bingo. He, d- he didn't know what the significance was, but the two people he was talking to absolutely knew the significance of what he was ask- what, what they were asking for. You can't get that if you don't have the information to begin with, and he can't do anything with the information if he's so narrowly focused he doesn't see the, the marketing or operations value of this reporting that was being requested out of the essentially the, the, the finance applications that ran the company. Mm. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great, in my opinion, network story. Okay, so that's boss and peers. What about your team? Um, Now, look, we take a very different approach than what I think most organizations would suggest if you got a bunch of executives together and said, how do you how do you recommend your managers handle mergers? And in fact, I don't know that I'd want to ask them that because they'd probably say, well, they should just wait to hear from me and I'll tell them what they should do. The fact is you can't move fast enough if that's the way things work. Um, we fundamentally believe that you as a manager have a responsibility, an obligation to share virtually everything with your own team. You've got to be kidding me. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I, Mike, I think that far too many managers hide under the, quote, general secrecy rule, unquote, that everyone assume applies to every such situations. But the fact is, look, if, if the situation is just a rumor, I've never heard of a corporate policy that says it's unethical to share rumor information with other people. I think plenty of executives, quite frankly, just like the fact that managers think that way, that you can't talk about rumors, or you can talk about all rumors except these. And so the executives think, well, the managers are afraid of it, so I'm not going to tell them anything, and we don't disabuse them of their notion, and luckily it ends up being that not as much formal discussion about these kind of things happens. Look at you know, you know we, we both agree in general in terms of the need for, you know, better communications and a lot of what we do here in manage tools about communications. But I think this time you've gone a little bit too far. Okay. In gen- I mean, managers and executives they, they have better judgment. They they you know <laughs> they can be trusted to know what to do with the information and uh, use a little bit of discretion. I, I you know I think you know a lot of our subordinates don't don't have that kind of judgment. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> this is good. Um, okay, here's my experience, Mike. Are you going to bite? My experience is, is that many, many managers engage what I call the I'm okay, you're not approach. In other words, the way they essentially present this kind of stuff is at my level, one above your level, it's okay for me to know all this stuff, but at your level, one level down from my level, you're not that smart or wise enough or powerful enough or under, under hint, hint, wink, wink, trustworthy enough to be given any of this information. Well, I'm glad you agree with me because yes. we won't have to talk any further about it. Yeah, good. Um, now, look, there's some people you may not choose to share information with. Um, but, but in my opinion, the blanket silent treatment is totally ineffective. Um, is it, I said once something that several people have remarked on. What's not being communicated is, in fact, what everybody's talking about anyway. <laughs> yes. um, you just can't keep secrets. I mean, I, I know a couple of examples over a period of years where an executive or a manager kept a secret, but it's so rare as to suggest that there, there ought to be a rule. There are no secrets. In fact, there is. One of Orson's laws is there are no secrets. Yeah, that's, that's their first mistake is when they hear a rumor thinking that their folks don't already know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm the only one that knows this. Yeah, how, how yeah. is it that you found out? <laughs> yeah. 
It came to you fully formed in your brain as a gift. Um, and, and let's remember something else. <laughs> um, you're responsible for your team. You've seen it or we've seen it. And I'm sure if you ask other people who have been through it, they'll tell you they've seen it too. The paralysis affects people's ability to get their job done and it affects their ability to do well and to feel good about themselves and makes them look bad in terms of numbers if in fact the rumor mill grinds on and on. But in fact, it doesn't come to fruition. Um, And so you've got potentially bad performance numbers at the end of three, six, nine months, something like that. doesn't make you look too terribly good. Yeah, well... Yeah, and let me let me add a little bit because you know, if, like you said, if you want to remain effective, you, you have to settle your team down. You can't they'll Good. be spun up on this thing for so long. So you got to settle them down. So, for so share the rumors with them. But for every rumor you share with them, explain to them what it means, what it could possibly mean to them or the organization, and then tell them what you're going to do about it. You know, for example, rumor MCI WorldCom. Uh, I had at the t- time of the vast majority of the internet web applications in the in the company amongst other things and worldcom had a development organization that did the same thing and so sat down with team what does it mean hey it means you know our organization has 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 some risk so this is what i'm going to do i am meeting with marketing tomorrow the worldcom marketing folks and i'm going to do a walkthrough of all our applications and show them what we can do for them for example when they see their leader taking action against their fears, that settles them right down generally. I, I'll, I'll tell you, you, you said a couple of things that are so powerful, Mike. First of all, you said settle them down. And I think simply standing up and acknowledging the rumor and then doing what you said, parts two and three, which is not just telling them this is the rumor, but here's what it means. In other words, translating, I think that means that this is going well or that's going well or this is going to be the thrust of things or what have you. Or here's what I here's my analysis and then and here's what I'm going to do about it. That transforms it from we're passive acceptors of the world's powers over us or we're in a dance with the powers that be and we can affect our outcome by behaving in certain ways. And that empowers people to do things rather than disempowers them to sit and wait for more information. If all you do is share rumors, people are going to be disempowered rather than empowered. Right. That's what people are afraid of, their lack of control, lack, lack of ability to influence the outcome. Yeah. And the fact that you can take actions and will take actions sends a very powerful message. Yeah. Good. And, and, and look, we recommend that in terms of the communication piece, you brief your team regularly and it, it, probably at a minimum weekly as things get going. The way I've seen it done best is not by email because you may feel like you can share some things in person that you can't by email. Um, and if you need be, you've got plausible deniability, you can go back and say, well, that's not exactly what I said. I may have handed it that, but I didn't say it out loud that way. And that may get you off the hook if you've shared more information than some executive above you thinks you should have when in fact all you're doing is trying to keep your team productive and motivated. Um, so I've seen the best time I've the best ways I've seen it done is in part of a regular weekly staff meeting. And what many fee- managers that I've started recommending do is, is they they make it the last agenda item, and, and you can you can name it on the agenda if you want, or you don't have to. You just put fifteen minutes of open discussion and say let's talk about the rumors. Um, if you make it the last agenda item, you're going to get through all the work you need to do. Everybody's going to be everybody's going to be focused on being crisp in the meeting because they don't want to cut into that last 15 minutes when they're going to tell what's really important, but you still get to focus on the work in the, in the regular meeting that you're going to have. 
Um, and if for some reason the meeting runs over, it won't be, you won't lose people when they're thinking, when they should be thinking about the work because you spend so much time talking about the rumors. People will help you get through to, to get to the rumors if you put the work first. Good. All right. And then lastly, your team is also a great source of information unless you believe in the I'm okay, you're not theory. Um, They know stuff too. And it may not be them. It may be their spouse in another part of the company. It may be a buddy in another part of the company. Who knows? Maybe somebody they used to sit next to in a different division. It doesn't matter. They're a source of information and potentially of analysis. And don't assume that you're going to be delivering the tablets from on high in every one of your weekly staff meetings. People are going to pop off with information. And this is another opportunity to pool that information, analyze it from different perspectives, and come up with a different worldview than perhaps you had before. And and as you go through a, a merger or as you go through an acquisition, your view of the world changes every week or two. And that's okay because you're being buffeted with so much change, it would be reasonable. If your worldview didn't change at all, when in fact the world was changing around you, that would be terribly inefficient and ineffective in my opinion. Good. Well, that's it for now. We'll finish this topic up next week. As always, if you have any questions or comments, be sure to visit our discussion forums at www.manager-tools.com forums. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next week, so long.